Welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman. Thank you for joining me today on Heaven Sent and Bent. I'm so happy that you're here, and I hope that you will enjoy uh, my guest as much as I'm looking forward to speaking with Janine. Um, I hope you're going to receive as much enlightening as I'm hoping that you are. Um, my guest today is Janine Franconelli, and she is the founder of the Flawless Foundation. And we're going to be talking about the foundation and what the mission of the foundation is and what her goals are uh, with this mission. And um, I think it's going to be a very enlightening show. It's been uh, an interesting week. There's been a lot of things happening um, in our country and throughout, in, around the world, actually. And once again, it's kind of brought us all back to, you know, thinking about what we need to do as far as mental health goes and, and some of the issues that face society. So my timing could not have been any better to have Janine on the show today. So um, just once again, before I start, I love to start my show out with the quote from Albert Einstein, which is that there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. And I really do think that we need to keep in mind um, whatever your belief is in a, in a higher power, uh, the universe or goodwill, karma, um, whatever your belief is that, you know, doing the best that we can and putting our, um, ourselves second and looking, uh, you know, in looking for what we can do to help our fellow man and be of, being of service, um, is such a great way to, to live your life. And it's, it's definitely a great way to forget yourself and to learn to love others. And, and I think that that message will coincide well with our message. So, Let's bring, uh, bring Janine on this morning, and we have a lot of things to talk about, so I don't want to waste any time just babbling. So, Janine, how are you today? I'm good, Renee. Thanks so much. I'm thrilled to be on the show with you today. It's perfect timing. It really is perfect timing. I think I was inspired to contact you, to, uh, and, and the timing just couldn't have been, well, I don't know if it's better. <laughs> you have to, I guess you have to reflect. But, Janine, uh, tell everyone about your journey to um, founding the Flawless Foundation, how you started it, how you came up with the name, and really how you um, decided that, that this was something that you needed to devote your life to and what the mission of the foundation is. Okay. Wow. That's, that's about, about ten questions in one. <laughs> yeah, that's an hour right there, so we're done. I'm just going to sit back. You go. <laughs> There we go. Ready, set, go. Yeah. Okay, so I have a history of mental illness when I was very, very young, and I've written about it a lot on the Huffington Post, and have just every part of my family tree genetically, both sides everywhere, has mental illness. So I know a lot about this from a very young age and from every angle. And I also was an educator and have a master's degree in elementary education. So I worked in schools for a long time. And when I saw in Southeast Portland, there is a school called the Pioneer Special School. 
And it's a school where kids who have failed at a special ed are kind of put all together in one school from kindergarten to 21 years old. And the population, some of them are in and out of juvenile detention facilities or psychiatric hospitals. It's just the last stop. And it's very, very, very underfunded. Mm. And the minute I saw that, that was it. It was just like, it's funny, this this is so truly a calling without a plan. I just called some friends in New York. I can't believe what I've, I've seen here. This is like in our backyard. We can't. I can't believe this is in this country. This. I. Can't, I was just so shocked. And I. They just sent things. They like. They, they sent books and games and things. And then someone sent an occupational therapy gym that they didn't need anymore. And we got five thousand dollars worth of shipping donated. And then that was it. It just took off like wildfire. I, it like overnight. That was it. Wow. And here we are. I know, so are you later. still working then with the Pioneer Special School? Yeah, yeah. So okay. that was our, that's been like our laboratory. That's been our kind of pilot site. We've been there since 2008. And we have, we provide yoga classes every week for the kids. And we, um, we had a, a donor once had launched a gardening program that we have discontinued because the kids aren't there over the summer anymore. They used to be there all year round. Oh. But we had gardening and um, drumming and music, and we do uh, we did yoga classes for the teachers and wellness experiences for the teachers because there's so high trauma. I mean, there can be like 18 acts of violence a day. The police can be showing up because the, the teachers have you know have been hit or broken bow. I mean, it's just an incredibly difficult situation. So, um, so we do a lot to support the staff, and we. Um, train them in all kinds of uh, pr- ways of working with this population. And then we have this great partnership in the community, too. So other Nikes donated to us and donated things to the school yoga mats and all kinds of things. And um, there's a building in the Pearl that does a Thanksgiving dinner every year. There's a Thanksgiving dinner for 300 people, and they do a food drive. They do toy drives. They do um, backpacks in the beginning of the year. They do healthy snack drives. Like they've just adopted the school. It's been amazing. So wow. there's lots of stuff going on. Yeah, it's great. So now that school is a public school. Then it's not a private charter school. Right. It's, it serves the Portland public school community. Yep. So your hands are a little bit tied at being part of the public school system. Where I know if you were like my husband and I attended a, a fundraiser lately for. The Nativity School, which is a private school, so they're able to, you know, the kids are in school 48 hours a week, and private, you know, they go to school year-round, but you have to work within the, what the other schools are doing within the district, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which which probably is frustrating for you, that you can't maybe have a year-round program or something like that, or or what are your feelings on that? Well, I mean, there's so many big issues. I mean, it's, well, yeah. yes, it's frustrating, but I mean, I can't even think about it. We have such big, 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 big problems and issues that I deal with on a macro level in my work in policy and advocacy work that, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled with what's going on there and what we can do. And, you know, I'm, my philosophy is very much of gratitude and appreciating the small things that we can do. So I, I just, you know, we move forward and, and celebrate each step and then, you know, 
there are such big issues here. But yeah, you know what? And isn't that amazing when you go? Yeah, when you look on that, and I I remember I don't remember the quote exactly, but I remember someone you know saying to Mother Teresa, you know, who are you? What do you think you can do? I mean, you're just one little person. And she was like, yeah, but I can do what I can do. And that's the way you're looking at it is I can do what I can do. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I'll make whatever difference I can make. And then you can't worry about, like you say, the gazillion other problems that are out there. Talk about, okay. um, I know your, your mission is to uh, revolutionize the way that the world perceives and prevents and treats brain-based behavioral challenges. And that's a, that's kind of a, a large, you know, describe what, what, how you define brain-based behavioral challenges. Well, it's interesting because it took us, it took the board, it took us a year to land that agreement on the language around this mission. So we are very much about being inclusive and we are taking a very broad approach in terms of changing the face of this, changing the paradigm. And we, you know, we work in mindfulness. We work in, we, you know, speak about criminal justice issues and mental health issues. Like, it's so broad that we we are calling it brain-based behavioral challenges because that encompasses all the areas that okay. we focus on. Whereas when we just said mental health, then, you know, people often don't want to talk about criminal justice or they don't want to talk about, you know, mindfulness. Or, so that's how we came up with those, that language. And we want to be changing language. You know, we, we, I write about this a lot. We're very concerned about the way people do not use first-person language. Like they'll say, oh, you're so schizophrenic. Oh, you're so bipolar. Oh, my gosh, I was, like, totally ADD the other day. You know, like people, we want to change the language to, so people understand these are medical conditions and they aren't things that we should be throwing around as slang or commonplace language. We need to be saying, I have bipolar disorder. My brother has attention deficit disorder. I have anorexia, and I'm an anorexic. I see. So not not using it as label, yeah, to describe ourselves, and then putting it on the same context as not using it as something that is negative. So you're trying to, you know, you wouldn't say to someone, oh, you're such a cancer, you know, because everyone understands that cancer is serious and life-taking and sad, but you could say to someone, oh, you're so bipolar, you know, just trying to right. say, oh, you're crazy today, and and, the, and say, you know, that's just as offensive as what we've started to, what we used to say in the 60s and 70s when we would say, oh, you're just being so retarded, and now we're starting right. to learn that that's offensive, that, that you know, that there's there are people that suffer, and we need to start acknowledging that it's it's a problem and not a a description, I guess. Right. Well, and and, and beyond being offensive, it's it's not good for anyone because if you're using that discriminatory language mm-hmm. and all the time, and then you start to have an issue, so you, you know, you're, you're using this language of hatred and othering people, and if let's say it, then the self stigma happens when you have an issue, and you're like. You're practicing that negativity all the time, and it doesn't help you to be able to get help or to recognize that you're having an issue early on. And it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help the person you're calling, you know, that name or, you know, what you're modeling for kids when you speak like that. Exactly. I, mean, I, I, I raised my son in an environment where, we, you know, I use this politically correct language all the time. And he, he's 14. He doesn't, he, 
you can sometimes not use this kind of language. And when I confronted him one day, he said, well, Ma, if I use the language you're trying to tell him, like, are you kidding me? People would think I was really crazy because it yeah. sounds so weird to him because of what's on TV, what's in popular culture. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really tough uphill battle to change the language. Really it's just something, something we're very committed to doing. That's really, and that's really true because there, there is a negative connotation that goes along with that, and it is very judging. And so in it, and it gives someone a, a, a position of power, you know, of saying, I'm better than you, I'm more together than you, uh, that's why I'm going to call you this, or that's why I'm going to degrade myself because I don't think I'm worthy of even, you know, being in your presence or whatever if someone's degrading themselves with a label like that. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it is something that we need to be aware of. And I know that people get tired and the pe- people probably say that to you. Oh, we get so tired of being corrected and, you know, um, always having to be politically correct. But there are certain things that just need to be, people me- need to be made aware of and that's how we progress. And so that's, that's amazing what you're trying to do. What are, um, so is there a difference? Is, is the term brain-based behavior, is that a, 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 the same as mental illness, but it's just a different description, or, or how would you describe that to someone? Well, the research in the, the, you know, the field of psychiatry you know, it has a long way to go before right. we have definitive markers, biomarkers, and cures, and medications that are going to be effective, I mean, we're just, you know, we have a long way to go. So, so mental illness, is it mental illness, is it not? There's just such, there can be such a gray area. So you can have, so someone can have a behavior, right, that is pathological or not healthy. And, you know, the point is that our behavior stems from our biochemistry right that's the point of brain-based behavioral challenge that you're having a challenge with your behavior that's based in your biochemistry and do you get into right and do you get into the discussion of you know nurture or nature um you know what is what is environmental and what is genetic you know when you were talking about your you know yeah, so how how uh how do you describe that to someone or or have you seen the differences and can you sure. can you describe that to someone? Right. So it, it, it's definitely both and I'll just use myself as an example. So I was born genetically loaded for sure. And then as I look through my life, periods of stress or trauma definitely triggered me having some serious behavioral challenges. And now I have, you know, as an adult and I've been, you know, fine for, you know, I haven't been in treatment for many decades, but I almost, you know, I had, I almost died. I was suicidal for years and had anorexia. So it's a very serious mental illness, but I created a, brain health lifestyle, a life that supports my brain health. I'm just vigilantly aware of my brain health and my brain as an organ in my body. Mm-hmm. And so if I see any signs of stress or, uh, you know, sleep is such a big issue, anything that seems, you know, I'm on top of it and I, cre- 
it takes steps to prevent having, you know, things become difficult and affect my functioning. Was that a, was that a difficult journey for you? Because I know that, um, you know, we have a tendency to, you know, if you're, if you're, um, well, I don't even know how to describe this, but let's say we, we have the mindset where we need to put others needs before our own, right? So especially as a mother, as a wife, you know, as a daughter, as a sister, you, you may have been brought up to believe that you need to put your needs aside and put others' needs ahead of yours. So, um, you know, did you find that that was one of the things that was a trigger where you, now, like you say, now you know yourself. Now you know what is too much stress or, or what is something that might, you know, trigger some unhealthy thoughts. So you can take yourself out of that. But did you ever find a time where you knew it, but you thought, oh, I, I, I just need, you know, soldier on because this other person needs me or this project needs to get done. And, and how selfish of that would, would that have been of me to put myself first? Did you have to work through that kind of mind thinking? Yes. Okay. So, okay. To start, I have a very, very, very strong philosophy that I come first. My health comes first. I can serve everyone better if I took care of myself first. Okay, so that is number one. Mm-hmm. And that has been the key to my success. I mean, I work 60 hours a, day, a week. I, I mean, I'm on the road constantly. Like, I have a very, very, very intense schedule and high-pressure job. I'm dealing with trauma and violence and things that are extremely difficult every day in my work. So self-care for me first, number one. It's funny you're bringing this up. Recently, I had three tragedies in my family in like four days where I had to travel to Colorado, Maryland, and Virginia in in a time where I had a very busy work schedule. So I slept in 11 beds in 19 days, okay? And so I'm very, very intense about my self-care and making sure I eat rest and try and exercise and eat well and all those things. But that was a really intense thing. And I did have some periods where I wasn't functioning that well during that time because I did not prescribe a little bit to my normal philosophy. Right. So I did, I did, I just had this happen to me. So I, that I, normally I'm really good. I landed and I'm functioning at such a high level. But recently I, I overdid it. So it's a constant of awareness. Right. And it is. And it is a, a matter of being aware because, like you said, even though you were overdoing it, but you were doing it because you knew you needed to, but you were aware of it. And I guess what I'm saying is how nice would it be if we ha- if we gave ourselves permission to describe what we know is our own behavior? You know, for example, I'm someone who needs alone time. And if I'm surrounded by people a lot, then I start to kind of break down a little bit, even though, okay, mm-hmm. anyone listening to this that knows me would go, she's crazy. She's such an extrovert, but I'm not really, I'm not really. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I find myself giving, 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 you know, okay, okay, okay. And then I'll break down, you know? So if I was strong enough to say that's not that outing or that get together is not going to work for me. Um, I can't take another group activity, you know, 
Um, I've never let myself say that. I've never let, so I've just gone along with it. And then eventually I'll break down in one way or another. Right. And it comes out as unexpected or, um, you know, out of the blue, which seems like, you know, I'm having some kind of mental breakdown. But in reality, I just wasn't taking care of myself. So how nice would it be to give ourselves permission to say, hey, I'm the type of person that needs a lot of sleep. So I'm not going to be able to go to that activity overnight, but I'll, I would love to come and join you for a few hours and to have people accept right. that and to say, right. I get it. How great, how great would that be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm usually like that. I have to say, I'm, I'm actually really good about that. And in this, in this situation, I'm thinking that recently I was, I found out that my aunt died right before I was supposed to get on a panel that was going to be videotaped. And I had some board members with me, and I was crying, and I was like, I was like a wreck. And and I said to them, I don't think I can be on this panel. And you know, we and we and I was crying, and I was acted like I, you know, you know, I was definitely acting like I felt crazy, you know, in quotes. But you know, I was very, I didn't go to the bathroom and hide. I didn't right. stay by myself to figure out what I should do. I worked very closely with them, and you know, explained all my concerns to them. They explained their concerns to me because they really wanted me to be on the panel. I didn't want to be on the panel. And so, so I'm really very good about that and think that that's the trick to our developing emotional intelligence, staying connected, modeling for kids what emotional breath and development looks like because we have none of that. So. Exactly. I want to talk a little bit about how you went from New York to Portland, how, how that travel, that, that journey got because I am so impressed with the people that you work with in the Portland area. Um, I don't, you know, I know a few of the people, Patrick Kennedy and some of the people that you work with in New York, but I would love to talk more about how your board got formed. You have some amazing people on your board. So uh, Janine, let's take a little break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about um, how you set up Flawless Foundation. We'll be right back. Now, back to Renee Steelman for more Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com. Hey, thanks for coming back, everyone. Uh, my guest today is Janine Franconelli, and she is the founder of the Flawless Foundation. And Janine just has so many wonderful things to share with us, and I, I think it's really important that you know my, my show um, previously has really centered on people that are dealing with physical ailments. And I, I just love that this that this topic can coincide with that because, you know, my, like I've often said on this show, I have never had a problem receiving services for my son with cerebral palsy. It was um, it was it was very obvious that he had a disability and people flocked to him, even though he's twisted and bent and and maybe slobbers a little bit. Um, the kindness and the love that pours out to him is just amazing, and it's a beautiful thing to see. Um, I never had a problem getting help with him at the schools or identifying what kind of services he needed. It was just so obvious. Um, but when I've tried to get help for other members of my family that have a hidden uh, disability of, I don't know, I, I, I even hate to use the word disability because the reality is, we all have something going on. I mean, what's normal? 
really, what is normal? Let's describe what would be considered normal, right, Janine? Um, yes. <laughs> so, so, you know, I think it's important that we recognize that how tough it is for people with a mental illness or a brain-based behavior that doesn't seem to go along with what society describes as normal and how difficult it is to receive services or even understanding for this condition. So, um, Janine, one of the things that I, I love about your program was um, talking with one of the members on your board that is here in the Portland area um, at OHSU. And I can never remember how to pronounce his name correctly, but he's the a child psychiatrist up at OHSU that's on your board. Mm-hmm. Right, Dr. Detmalani. There we go. And I love, I mean, the, the, first, the first encounter I had with him is watching a video where he talked about doing, um, you know, doing other things besides just getting out your prescription pad. And mm-hmm. right away I was like, what, what, wait, what? You're a doctor? You, you work in a hospital? You're not, you're not talking about drugs? Wait, tell me more. Who are you? How do I get to you? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So talk yeah. a little bit about your wellness program. So, you know, we believe that mindfulness, yoga, exercise, gardening, nutrition, all of music, art, all of these things can be very therapeutic and helpful in children's development and in brain development. And all the research says, you know, there's so much research to attest to that. So if we could create environments in schools from, you know, that were healthier and promoting these things and where kids were moving around and they wouldn't have to sit in their seats, you know, starting at five years old and behave, especially for boys, mm-hmm. that they're perfectly and sit with their pens and their papers and write. And, I mean, we're just, the schools are such a big issue mm-hmm. that we, you know, we could get ahead of this issue and be preventative and that, create yeah. brain-healthy environments. And I think that's that has been a little bit of a quandary for me because, um, you know, when my grandson... Uh, was having some problems in school, and I went over to the school, and I walked into his classroom, and um, you know, I'm I'm a an interior designer, so I'm I'm familiar with the feng shui concept, and so even just mm-hmm. from not even a mental health concept, but just the idea of having an environment that doesn't create anger or anxiety, of bumping into things, knocking your elbow onto things, or tripping over things, and I walk into this classroom, and I'm just awestruck. I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, how does anyone function in this classroom? It was crowded. It was the kids are smushed next to each other and their desks are, you know, and the teachers is surrounded by junk and stuff and shoes and backpacks and, you know, boxes of stuff and a wall. I mean, there was a wall. The minute you walked into his classroom, you, you walked into a wall and then right below the wall was a box of Stuff. I don't even remember whether it was shoes or backpacks. And then you had to take a right to enter into the sunlight, you know. And then when you walked in, you're bam, you're right, you know, bumping into coat racks. And and so here's this child that is having anxiety about standing close to people and, and you know, having people, you know, right there. And he's attention deficit, so his attention is being thrown in 50 million, you know. And when I would bring this up in his in his meetings when he would get into trouble, as you would say, and I would say, does anyone notice that the only time he gets in trouble is when you make him line up in line for the lunch and then when he goes out on the playground? Does anyone see that? And they'd be like, uh-huh, what's your point? I'd be like, oh, that's my point. 
My point is that's the problem. What can, you know, and their reaction was, have you thought about Ritalin? He really needs to be on Ritalin. And I was just like, I called a friend in tears and she said, let me tell you how you're going to handle this. And then she told me how to go down to the school district and pull him out and homeschool him. And I was like, thank you. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. what we're going to do for now. But Mm-hmm. It's just, and this is our, this is what we have to work with in the public school in this area, at least. And one of them, I don't know, if, I think some of the other schools are better. This was one in particular, but I love um, Dr. Ablon and he is located, he's, he is, where is Dr. Ablon? He's in Massachusetts, right? Right. He's at, um, yeah, MGH and Harvard Medical School. Yeah. Okay. And I loved his right. description of, you know, uh, just motivating children like, like that's the concept is we need to motivate these children to react like children aren't motivated to please us. I love that. Right. Well, his, his tagline is kids do well if they can. And right. which, you know, is very close to our seeing the perfection in everyone. You know, we kind of married and our missions is of wanting to change the way that people are looking through the lens of, you know, looking at through the lens of light, seeing the light and the strength in someone instead of the darkness, instead of the dysfunction, and knowing that kids, exactly, they are motivated, of course, to please us and to please themselves and to do well. They're not they're not like, oh, yeah, I'd like to get in trouble when I get online today. I'm looking forward to that when it's so chaotic and we have these environments that are so unhealthy for us <laughs> where we're overstimulated and, yeah, I'd like to wake up every day and imagine what that's going to be like. I, mean, can you, I can't... That's what I mean. We we can. There's a lot we can do. Right. A lot. So tell us about your journey of, of. I know that you said in your on your on your bio that you were actually working, you know, in a school in New York, and and you had this kind of aha moment. Then what brought you to Portland? Totally random. Totally random. I, we just moved. We came on vacation. I lived in New York for my entire life. Graduate school, undergraduate, like 40 years, I lived in New York. And we came, it was the summer, we came on vacation, Portland fell in love and moved. That was it. <laughs> really <laughs> random. And we <laughs> both worked from anywhere and it was, you know, yeah. Now, had you, had you started the foundation in New York and then carried it with you to no. Portland? Okay. No. No. And it was funny because we, part of the reason, you know, part of the we were, myself was just about to go into kindergarten and in New York it's like $45,000 a year to go to kindergarten and that was part of like oh enough of this whole New York life so I was kind of you know $15,000 birthday parties for a three year old it was just a weird yeah. kind of cute environment and we just were like oh let's just move and all those things seemed appealing but we also had trouble in the public school system in Portland immediately um, so we moved thinking oh public schools would be good but we didn't find that to be true and uh, so everything you're saying about your experience was very similar to ours. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yes, and then I started the foundation. We moved in 2006, and I started the foundation in 2008, so two years later. And again, wow. I, when I saw the, the resources in Portland, you know, I was pretty shocked. Right. And needed to do something. Oh, that's amazing. A truly, a, truly a calling, you know, and I, and I think that a lot of times – People do find their callings through a struggle that they have on their own or a, a struggle mm-hmm. that they see for their children. And and I think mm-hmm. that is how a lot of times people get motivated to make some changes. So mm-hmm. it definitely was in your case. So how did you find 
these amazing Portland professionals. Um, and, and there, and I don't think that, um, at least I didn't know that, that this program up at OHSU was even out there. So how, tell us about that. Well, you know, that's a good question because it's not, I mean, you know, our contacts are national. So it's not, we don't even feel that our, you know, Portland's not, our, our office is in Portland. I live in Portland, but our work in New York and at USC and in New York, San Francisco, LA, other places is probably a little stronger. Ah. So, yeah, I think that it's just, everybody is really, People who work in this field are so invested uh-huh. that and committed that it's been easy. You just you just have to ask and say, "Hey, will you join my board? Will you, will you join our advisory board?" And everybody says, "Yes." I mean, it's been that part was very very easy. Mm, interesting. It's a, it's a compelling. It's a compelling mission. So, yeah, I mean, it, there's been that, and that's and that's kind of it's easy for me to ask for things. I mean, this is a public health emergency. And I have no problem asking anyone for anything because we've got a rally on this now. So that that part was easy. I can ask any national expert, any celebrity, anyone to to join forces and help us. So that's that's been really easy. That's that's inspiring to know that people are so dedicated to what their their mission is that they're willing to jump on board. Like you say, I'm sure I'm sure these people are torn and a million directions, but everybody's focused mm-hmm. on the same cause. Um, so that's that's really great. Talk about your um, yoga. How how did the yoga part get into the wellness program? Well, there's so many wonderful yoga service organizations. Oh my gosh, there's this yoga service council. It's a national organization that has yoga service organizations all over the country and research research that's going on it's amazing so that was that was really easy we just I'm a, I'm a yogi we know that the health benefits of yoga and for the brain especially mindfulness meditation are so amazing so that was easy we just started that immediately and it's been wonderful and uh, the kids just they're like oh, I feel at peace I feel like I'm floating I mean the quotes from them are just incredible mm. it's been very 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 effective and you, you know what's so interesting about about the whole concept of the the meditation and the quiet and you know getting inside your body. I mean, there's so many uh, religions or beliefs that they everyone teaches that, and it might come out differently. It might come out as meditation. It might come out in daily prayer, uh, scripture study. It might come out in you know, like you were saying, in just you know, getting with, you know, feeling your own body through yoga or other, you know, exercise type things. And, but it's a universal knowledge that we're all kind of being awakened to that we need to take some time to just go down a little bit. And I don't know if, I think the adults are getting that message, but I love that you're teaching the children that they need to have that. Mm Mm-hmm. We need to be connected to the earth. We need to be connected to ourselves. We need to be connected to our bodies. You know, we have to need to holistic health and being integrated is is that's what health is: being integrated and to be at peace and to be able to function from a spot of being centered. 
Do you think that children um, were able, that they were able to find this more naturally before we got to be such a busy, high-tech, social media society? Do you think that's Absolutely. Wonderful? Okay. Mm-hmm. And technology is definitely a challenge, something we need to be mindful of and aware of. And, yeah, Ariana Huffington's book about the effects of technology and some tools on how to manage social media addiction or technology addiction is amazing. It's called Thrive and has some great resources in the end on websites and there are things you can put on your phone to to turn your phone off and turn things off to really schedule time to unplug. Very, very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I look at my children, I think my, my children who you know, range in age from 29 to 39, I think that may have been the last generation of children that were allowed to wander freely. And, mm-hmm. and I remember my daughter talking about, you know, going, going out into the backyard and just sitting and contemplating and pretending and thinking and singing and all of this by herself. She was allowed to do that by herself. And, Right. Now we're such a hovering society because it's, you know, we're worried about their safety. So we hover over our children and they're never alone. And they're never allowed to just walk up and down the street and take in this, mm-hmm. the trees and the birds and the trucks and the comings and the goings of, of what's going on. Because if someone saw a child walking down the street, they would go, oh, no, where's that? Where, where are those people's parents? Grab them, save them, you know. And right. it's understandable, but yet it's it's detrimental, and I I think we're seeing the effects. That's yeah. uh, interesting. So how now? I know you go ahead, Janine. I was say my son um, goes to a Rudolf Steiner school where there's no technology, and it's amazing to see the difference in the kids. There's no Instagram. I mean, he's 14. There's just Way more, it's uh, very creative, and you want know, to pick him up. I, the girls are like dancing off with like flowers that they've collected, that they've made crowns on their heads. Like it's just, it's really amazing to see that there's there's not the kind of Instagram, or the bullying, the things that we hear about with social media. So, I right versus the other schools that are saying bring your iPads, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. iPads to school. You're gonna you're gonna get all of your curriculum, and we want all of your homework delivered on this. Mm-hmm. And well, I actually think that's a good. I actually think that's a good use of technology. That's not that's that's not that. But but it's more the social pieces of it. Oh oh, are they allowed to be on their phones and and use their iPads at lunch? That's an example yeah. of a misuse of technology and, and what are we doing around social development and community and connectivity. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. So tell us about, um, cause I know you write a lot for the Huffington post and talk a little bit about the, um, I know you've had a lot of blogs, you know, and messages uh, that have been published on the Huffington post about some language with Dr. Oz, and that was fascinating and really interesting. And then also talk a little bit about what's happened in South Carolina and, and what your what your 
opinion is on what's going on with that. So the Dr. Oz situation was very similar to what we talked about with language. So he had a show. He was recently criticized for a lot of things, but he has uh, had a series called Normal or Nuts, or still has a, I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't checked recently, but where he'd have people describe some brain-based behavioral challenges, mental health challenges, behaviors that were not working for them, possibly. And then he, it was like a game show, and these experts would say, they would, it would like be like, they'd put up a sign that said normal or not, and we judge the, the behavior. The audience would vote on the behavior, what do you think? And it was just this ridiculous, you know, like I said, these are medical conditions, these are things that are, you know, physical, and would you ever say, say cancer or not? You know, let an audience yes. decide that they think the person has cancer or not. Right. My favorite was this one. There was one. My favorite of horrific, horrific shock was one about um, something about someone had some issues around food, like a food disorder thing, and they had a nutritionist, a psychologist, and then a manners expert. It was an etiquette expert talking about manners, like. So that was the panel judging. Like it is like an etiquette expert determining whether the person has an eating disorder or not. I mean, so that was a you know blatant example of the media and the way that we're portraying these very serious myths and misperceptions and stereotypes and just really serious. So that was that was something that was very popular when I spoke out about that. There were like re- the Twitter reached like three million people and it was really amazing. And and so did your posts on the Huffington it did it make a difference? Well, you know, how do you measure making a difference? Did did he call me up and say he's gonna stop for that series? No. <laughs> did, okay. Did, so you didn't get a response I, from the network. Not from him, but but we I've written about Dr. Phil and Doctor Oz over the years. Because they're both, they both do the same thing, and Doctor Fit, you know, and it has reached their PR people, and I, I've had some, it has some, nothing major, but we have made, we have gotten to, our voice has been heard at a high level, which is, which we're very happy about. But more importantly, is as I said, the social media reach, the conversations that have happened, the, the people are really interested in this. And so we've had, I, they were, we've had great success on all of those blogs. They were featured widely. They were, I mean, it was during the Dr. Phil scene a few years ago, but the number, the blog was like the number one on when you would Google Dr. Phil news, it was the first thing that would pop up. And so it was, we're very pleased with how those conversations have gone. Right. You got the message out. You made awareness. Yes. Oh, that's, that's excellent. Way. And your recent, talk about your recent blog where you're talking about the shooting in South Carolina. And just tell everyone if they haven't had a chance to read your blog, just kind of do a little synopsis of what you said in that. Mm-hmm. Well, so there's, and then you know what that last week, the, the Huffington Post had reached out to me and said, can you please write something? And I wrote right away, and now more, we have more information. So, you know, there's the fact that we always become divided after these issues. So there's the camp, this is terrorism, this is racism, this is an issue of gun control, this is, you know, some people are saying this is an anti-Christian attack. I mean, the list goes on and on. So 
my stand is that this is a conversation we need to have collectively. It's all of these issues. And that the one thing that's quite often missing, doing a deep dive into the mental health issue below the foundations that can sometimes be underneath this. So when Elliot Roger, I don't know if you remember the Santa Barbara shooting, and mm-hmm. um, he was the it was the, one of the Hunger Games producers' sons. He he had mental health history and um, his target in his thought disorder was girls. Mm-hmm. And so when that happened, everyone was calling it misogyny. And there was mm-hmm. a hashtag that was related to misogyny and women, and, and that was the focus there. And now the focus on this is racism and terrorism. And, of course, it's all those things, but we're not... The, the, the mental health conversation is not at the table in a deep enough way. Mm-hmm. And not so, only is it, is it not, you know, being talked about in a deep enough way, but it's being pushed aside because racism wants to be in the forefront. And then, like you say, because that's dividing. And so I don't know if that's healthy, you know, to put that in the forefront that it is, but, but the, but in fact, in one of the posts that I saw, it, it made people really angry to, uh, they were thinking that it was almost like cutting it down to something as simple as mental illness. Let's not talk about mental illness. Let's talk about racism because that's mm-hmm. what it really was. And mm-hmm. like you say, that's where we start to get divided. And even like you say, on all of the other issues, gun control and, Christianity and terrorism and everything. And when we want to label it as one thing and push aside the mental illness part, because we feel like, you know, from what I was reading, people were saying that, well, mental illness, you're giving them an excuse. Right. And ah, that's a hard one. That's like saying, well, you know, he's not coming into work. He really doesn't have a very good work ethic. I know he's going through chemotherapy, but come on, you know. And exactly. and that's the part that's so hard for people to grasp. Right. And I know I hear that a lot with the 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 gun control stuff. And the guns don't kill people; mm-hmm. people kill people. And it's like, right. well, yes, cars don't kill people. People in cars kill people. But let's bring it all back to the disease. You know, what is right. the disease that we're working with here? And people feel like that's a cop out. And and yet, right. it has to be the beginning in a way. Well, we're still, we still think of mental health issues as character flaws. We judge people as being bad people. And this is, and then that's the danger in all this. People, um, you know, I, I'm getting some flack for sure. There's backlash on what I've written for sure from the different camps. And, uh, you know, people are like, maybe I shouldn't be speaking right now, but we miss the opportunity and the heat of this moment is when we need to be talking about it. Because, for example, the fact that we're meeting this situation with hatred is not moving us forward. Right. The the uncle of this man, front page news on Friday was, I want to press the button for death penalty for my nephew. Right. That's not helping anyone. That's, we're othering where he's, He's not a human being. What he did was judging. He doesn't, you know, 
with, with Adam Lanza we, and his mom, we didn't count them in the death toll. That is perpetuating this idea that these people are just evil and they're so, they just need to be punished. Instead yes. of looking at what I'd like us all to do is look, start with ourselves. How do we treat people whose behavior is different? I mean, let's go through the facts here. He, so this Dylan, he failed out of school. So there was school failure. That's a red flag. He had a drug history. With, with, he was in the criminal justice system. He was arrested. So the criminal justice system failed him. The school system failed him. The medical, I mean, South Carolina is a horrible state for psychiatry and mental health. That, you know, he wasn't getting the treatment he probably needed. He reported to everybody that, to people that he was planning to do this and intended to kill himself. Mm-hmm. What is happening around suicide awareness, suicide prevention, that people knew he was going to kill himself and no one did anything? Mm-hmm. That they knew he planned he said to someone, you know, I'm going to start a civil war. All of this was shared. It wasn't hidden. There were signs. Right. Right. It's very complex. System. Yeah. The system is so weak. It, what do you do? And it, it, it's really, really tough. So right. we have to get preventative about this. You know, right. Again, it's back to schools, emotional intelligence, curriculum, which, you know, if we teach emotional intelligence, it will also help with racism and being more inclusive and all of these issues. If we can teach each other to be tolerant of, you know, of differences and come together in community and understand our different reactions to people and all of that. Right. Well, and I think, you know, we've only got a couple minutes left, but I know... You know, in comparison, I thought it was ironic that, that we had this, we had the shooting and then we had on 2020, they highlighted this new documentary that's coming out about this group of, of this family that was basically being held captive in a small apartment in New York. And the mental health of those children is amazing. And the diversity of each one of those boys, uh, it's a documentary that just came out, I think on Friday called Wolfpack. And I'm dying to go see it. It's playing in Portland at the Living Room Theater. Um, but these boys, have they all have separate interests. Now that they've got their freedom, they're kind of going a little bit in different directions. But they're so mentally healthy. And yet they were, and one of the, the uh, interviewer asked them if they have any, you know, hard feelings against their father. And they were like, why would we do that? Why would we waste time with these hard feelings when we've got this beautiful life ahead of us? And it was so refreshing and uplifting to see that, you know, sometimes bad environments do not bring mental illness. And that really kind of said, this is a perfect example of what mental illness and what a bad environment and abuse did not change those kids because they're mentally healthy and very fascinating comparison in just the last week you know, of two different situations. We have the example, I just want to quickly, the example of the way the church is responding to this with yeah, love yes. and forgiveness. And not that they're, they're, of course, horrified and expressing their grief and sorrow, but this move they're making is such an example to all of us of how yeah. to move forward. Yes. Or, or Sandy Hook Promise, what's happened in Sandy Hook and the Anna Grace Project. That they, you know, they're doing such amazing activism around the new town situation so right. we have a lot to learn from these leaders of activists we really do and and it's sad that we are still learning this <laughs> it's so, uh, but it's a process and you are definitely part of the solution and i appreciate 
what you're doing. I appreciate what the Flawless Foundation is is um, you know doing to help the children. And if anyone would like more information, please um, uh, you can find Janine's blogs on the Huffington Post of flawlessfoundation.org, and you can connect to her blog through there. Uh, Janine, is there any other way that you'd like for people to know how to reach out for to you? Well, we're very active on social media, so that's the best way. Um, our Twitter handle is flawlessgrats, G-R-A-T-S, like gratitude, so flawlessgrats, at flawlessgrats, and Facebook's at Flawless Foundation, Pinterest, and Instagram the same. Okay. Okay, very good. Well, I, I look forward to seeing some more from you, and, and I'm so I just feel like you know the encounter that I had where I was able to meet you at a book signing and and everything that you've done brought into my life. It was just serendipity. It was wonderful. Um, so Thank good luck, so and I hope that we'll have an opportunity to work together on some other projects because that would be great. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. That was oh, that was amazing, and I I love. I love to surround my, myself with people um, that have a positive outlook and are only looking at the positive. It's just an amazing thing. And I love, I remember reading this week, and I don't remember where I read it, but, you know, we need to surround people, surround ourselves with people that bring out our best and not people that bring out our worst. And so finding people that are always looking at the positive and not looking at the negative is something that I always need to be reminded to do. And so I love to surround myself with people that do that and they can kind of wake me up a little bit and go, let's look at the positive. Let's move forward. Let's not dwell on the negative things that are happening. And I hope that you can, can, you know, remind yourself to do that today. And, you know, I'll close with my favorite quote, go to heaven for the climate. Hell for the Company by Mark Twain. You know what? Remember, people, we're all in this together, and we have to help each other out. And we're all going through some kind of little hell on earth. And it's important that we come together as a community, look for the positive, look for ways that we can serve one another to uplift and find the heaven that we all want here on earth. And I hope you all have a great, great day, a great week, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.